realize that we were live on YouTube. No one told me, I'm waiting for, no one told me that we were already live on YouTube. No one, you know what? And what it was is I pushed the button with, uh, I was doing something. I was doing one thing and thinking about something else and then doing something completely different than either of those two. But regardless, here we are. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, children of all ages. You are watching Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. I am Tony Visick. And this is our uh, Saturday night special edition. There's really not a lot more special about it than Monday through Friday and Sunday afternoon, except that it's at 7 o'clock. It's at a different time. Now, at one point, we thought we'd try to make it something special. I even uh, I wore a jacket, and we thought that would make it special. But it's hot in Arizona right now, and even inside, it's just a little too much to wear a jacket. I hope you had a good Saturday. I would say I hope you had a productive Saturday, but... I don't know that necessarily being productive means good. It just means productive. I mean, you know, sometimes you're productive, but it's not good production. So uh, it's kind of like my production of the show right now. Not very good. Uh, we got a great show for you tonight. Uh, those of you just tuning in, those of you who are new, those who will download it somewhere in the distant future. And go, hmm, this gives us a window into the minds of people in the Southwest in 2020, during the great pandemic. Um, what this show is, uh, first off, this show is on three platforms. Comedy Schools, RadioNetwork.com, where you can listen in. And these shows are downloaded, and you can uh, listen to them after they're live. Not, that doesn't mean dead, by the way, after life. Not when it comes to recorded. Recorded actually means longer life. Anyway, uh, Comedy Schools, RadioNetwork.com. Uh, YouTube and the Comedy Schools channel, and Facebook Live right here. So that's two places where you can, uh, that's three places where you can see it, and the show is built around three things. Uh, interaction with you, the audience, when you post questions and comments on one of the three aforementioned platforms, and or um, um, uh, you could send us a, a letter, and we'd read it, we would read it right here live. If you decided to uh, post a letter, post a letter, uh, you know, handwrite it on a, a little piece of a ruled paper and put it in an envelope and uh, lick the envelope and put a stamp on it and everything and mail it to us, we'd read it. So that's some of the ways that you can reach us. Um, uh, we build it around that. We build it around some memento, trinket, autograph, uh, memorabilia that we have laying around here in the home office and hopefully can weave a little story around it. And, of course, I recommend to artists or piece of music based off my... Um, uh, massive vinyl album collection. And you know what? It is massive. Now, i got to be honest with you. Uh, in the old days when there were record stores, and I guess there still are some record stores, but they're not like, you know, a staple part of... Um, um, uh, Brian Horan says he will post me post-haste. Indeed, sir. Indeed, very good. Um, they're not as omnipresent as they once were. Probably more records in a record store than I own. But for a human being... I own a lot, own a lot of records, man, and uh, I got a couple of interesting ones here tonight to talk about. I will go on record as saying that I pretty much wasted the entire day today. Uh, when I started saying, I hope you had a productive day, and then started uh, uh, dissembling about it, I would not consider this one of my productive days. 
Uh, I had uh, an incredible amount of freedom to do whatever I wanted today, and I did absolutely, I'm not going to say I did absolutely nothing, but of all the things that I could have been doing that would have been productive, uh, I didn't, I did uh, none of them. I'll tell you, here's what I did do, okay? Um, I got into a, a little Facebook tussle, surprise, surprise, with a uh, local uh, member, with a member of the city council here in our town. He is uh, one of the city council members whose company got one of the grants that the city was offering. And um, he's going to have a Facebook Live sometime this week, and I'm going to go in there and talk to him about it further. Uh, I told him how on its face it just looked poorly that of the 30-some-odd grants that were given out, that uh, two of them went to city council members are at least two companies that they either work for or personally owned. Uh, he made a claim which is false. Now, I don't think that he made it on purpose, but he made a claim that everyone who applied for one of these grants got one. We applied. We did not get one. It wasn't for a very large amount of money. Matter of fact, it was for a rather small amount of money. But on the city website, it said the grants were given for anywhere between $500 up to I forget what the higher number is, but it was, uh, it was uh, pretty high. Um, if any of you think that a member of the city council being able to apply for a grant using federal money given to the city for small businesses, that that city council member's company got one of the 30-some-odd, that that doesn't sound odd, even if it's not odd. Even if nothing wrong legally happened, which I'm, I'm almost positive didn't, that it doesn't play well. I don't know how many of you would go, yeah, no, that, that sounds about right. That makes sense. Uh, uh, there was a couple hundred thousand dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars given to the city to give to small businesses. Uh, of that money, they gave it out to uh, 30 some odd small businesses. Uh, of that 30 some odd small businesses, two of the grants went to uh, two. Republican members of the city council. That sounds, that sounds okay to me. If you think that, let me know. Let me know. Like I said, uh, he made the claim that everyone who applied got one. We applied. We didn't get one. So um, I thought I would just point that out. So I spent some time doing that, then arguing with idiots on uh, Facebook. I couldn't help myself. The uh, anti-masker, anti-vaxxer crowd. Uh, finally, one said that uh, uh, masks. And I, you know... I guess it was a pretty persuasive argument on this gentleman's part because he finally told me that masks were for subjugated pussies. So um, there you go. You know what? And when uh, the side who doesn't believe that she, we, we, should, we should be wearing masks, masks or practicing social distancing or, or uh, any of the things we're doing right now to combat the virus says uh, something like masks are for subjugated pussies. I don't know why I didn't just end the whole argument right there. Oh, boy, you got me. Ah, now that you put it that way, the scales have fallen from my eyes. So uh, I, I swam today, said it was exercise. Oh, and then the big thing that uh, Shirley and I did do was um, we, uh, we went and we got tested for the COVID. So uh, they were offering free testing uh, about a mile, mile and a half from the house. Uh, so Brian Rand says, what if you're an independent pussy? Mask, okay? I don't know. You'd have to ask this guy, Brian, but he's, uh, you know, one of those guys, pictures of him doing kung fu and stuff on his face. I don't know. You know, we all know, we all always knew there were crazies out there, 
every once in a while we heard about him in the news, but with Facebook, we go, oh, you know, our, our suspicions were confirmed. Um, we went and got tests. And by the way, they did the swab thing, and uh, I laughed when they did it. And the uh, nurse, I guess she was a nurse, she was in a moon suit, but had a high-pitched voice, uh, said I was the first person to laugh. I said, it tickled. To me, it tickled. So by the way, if you're thinking about getting a test, um, um, you know, psychologically, I, it bothers me when I get shots, when I have to go to the doctor and they draw blood or get shots. But it doesn't really hurt. You know, it's not like, ah! it's not like having your foot set on fire or something. You know, it's not like being hit in the back of the head with a two by four. It's a more psychological. Uh, Brian Rand says, did you get the brain swab? Yeah, they went up. Yeah, they went up the uh, nasal cavity with the, um, you know, the rice. My whole life, when I was a little kid, my parents go, don't stick anything up your nose. Don't stick anything up your nose. And now the shows you how topsy-turvy the world is. The way that you find out if you uh, have the coronavirus is they stick something up your nose. There was a song a long time ago in the 60s called Made the Bird of Paradise. Fly up your nose. May the bird of paradise fly up your nose. So uh, we all thought it was funny because anything up the nose is funny because nothing's supposed to go up the nose. But that is how they find out if you have the uh, corroded virus. Right now. I guess there's a, a, a cheek swab they can do too. But that's not as prevalent. So we were happy. We appreciate that the city uh, was able to supply this service. We think that it was... I don't want to say it was too little too late, but it's a little bit down the road for our, our little town. Um, the issue is this. Here's the issue. We will not get the results, uh, and they weren't even clear on that. The uh, nurse who took mine told me it would be uh, two to eight days, and I got to go to some website to find out. Okay, And uh, they told my wife, the woman who gave it her, said three to nine business days. So that means, and now we came straight home, and we've just been hanging out here. We, we're going to hang out here for a while anyway. But what that means is, uh, hello, Angela. Uh, what that means is that uh, at any given time, at any given time before today, between today when we took the test, yes, and either two to nine days or nine business days from now, we'll get the results of whether we are positive or negative today. So Brian Horan, yes, maybe worthless, but why did I think it was important to do it? I was talking to a wonderful woman uh, uh, here in our town, Linda Johnson James, or is it Linda James Johnson? James Johnson. She's a really uh, cool lady, uh, does a lot of good stuff here. Uh, politically and uh, charitably in our town. And she said that her concern was because there was no line. I talked to my buddy Kevin O'Day in L.A. today. He said he was going to go uh, near his house in Burbank, California, and there was a three-mile line to get tested. Three-mile. We showed up. There were only four cars in front of us at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, only, only three or four cars. So her concern is that the city will just stop offering this service and as improvements, as improvements in the ability to uh, rapidly roll out a test result uh, as we move towards that, that then we won't be uh, ramped up for it. So we participated. Brian Rand said, it works if you don't interact for eight or nine days. Well, it, yeah, Brian, it, it works. You know, even the whole thing is, let, let's say that they got it to me in two days, like they said, two to eight. Let's say I get it Monday. Okay, Monday, they gave, here's your test. 
And here is your grade. You are negative. Um, let's see. Uh, Brian Rand said, our, our, our county shut down our testing on the whole west side of the county. It's insane. It's in Ventura County. It's in Ventura County. They shut down the testing. Um, let's say that I get negative and I go, yay, and I go run outside and I'm jumping around. And I'm all happy. And go, Woo-hoo, I'm going, the hills are alive with the sound of music. You know, and I'm, I'm jumping around like Julie Andrews and shit. Okay, and then I spin around and I don't realize there's someone jogging in front of me and they bump into me. I go, oh, excuse me, I go, excuse me. And they had the COVID. Then I fucking get it again. I get it, yeah. Then I got to get uh, retesticled. Okay? <laughs> Brian says, I had to drive 45 minutes to get a test and have the same timeline. So um, it's good if we'll find out, you know, here's the issue. There should have been a national testing strategy immediately. And it's easy for all of us to sit in our houses and watch television and read the news and go, you know, here's what they should have done. But anybody would have a, have a, have a noodle knew that the way to be able to combat this was going to be to have a national testing strategy rolled out as rapidly as possible, like tanks coming off an assembly line at a Ford truck plant in 1942. You know, a national testing strategy so we can immediately trace who had it and who didn't. Quarantine them. Take care of the sick. Let them get through it. Those are going to get through it and then move on. But we didn't. We have dillied and dallied and dithered. Until now, millions of people have it. And we don't know enough about the virus to go, there might be, you know, here's, it's altogether possible. And this is totally conjecture on my part. That someone could be tested positive, be totally asymptomatic, but like like herpes, like herpes, a year from now, it could flare up in them again, even worse. And then it wouldn't be called Corona; it would be called uh, Coropes, Coropes. I'm not trying to spread any uh, rumors here. I have no knowledge of uh, whether that will take place or not. Anyway, hold on, I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me. Those of you on YouTube had to see that. You on Facebook Live were, um, yeah, I know. People go, ah, he sneezed. Um, let's see. Uh, Brian Ramsey, let's get some vinyl before I off myself. <laughs> All right, before we get to the vinyl, before we get to the music, uh, let's talk about the trinket we have here. Uh, people say I collect bobbleheads. I don't. Nonetheless, here's one. All right, and this is an especially cool bobblehead. Look at that. Helmet off. Helmet off, helmet on, helmet off, helmet on. Look at that, my YouTube friends. That's a pretty cool, that's a very well put together bobblehead. Well painted, uh, even the base on, you know, uh, that's actually raised. That's an A, the official Arizona Diamondbacks insignia logo. Uh, there it is. Uh, but wait a minute. The guy's dressed up like a spaceman. So is this a Star Wars? However, it's got an Arizona Diamond Star Wars. What it is, is they had a Star Wars night at uh, Chase Field. It says uh, Star Wars, Star Wars 5th, Star Wars Day at Chase Field. It says that on the back right there. You guys can't read it because it's backward. Star Wars Day at Chase Field. And on that day, they gave away bobbleheads. I imagine this, I hope that this was some kids who grow up and gave it away. I hope it wasn't some old man who grabbed it up. When there were so many little kids there hoping to get it. I don't know. 
Somehow it ended up in a secondhand shop, and now I got it. Okay, but this is Paul Goldschmidt, Goldie. That's how the guy used to say who announced out here. Coming to bat right now, Goldie. Goldie's batting 301. He's second foul off. Okay, and here comes, there's the wind-up, there's the pitch, and Goldie hits a base hit to right field. So this is Paul Goldschmidt, who for many years was the face of the Arizona Diamondbacks. We loved him out here. Um, he was going to ask for more money, and you know how that goes in baseball. Uh, in baseball, either uh, with the team that you usually ask more money from doesn't give it to you, another team gives you an enormous amount. And now Paul Goldschmidt is a member of my beloved St. Louis baseball Cardinals. So uh, <coughs> we are excited. I don't know how baseball is going to play out. I still don't know 100% if they're going to play it in empty stadiums or not, or socially distanced stadiums, some of the thought being since it's out of doors, there's less of a risk of uh, contracting coronavirus. Uh, we do know that uh, Toronto is not going to let the Blue Jays play in their stadium in Toronto. Canada is not going to allow it to happen. But uh, I'm looking forward to baseball, and I'd be perfectly happy with no fans in the stands. Uh, if uh, baseball were to do something like what the NBA is doing, the bubble, they got the bubble down there in Orlando. You know, you're like, a, it's like being, being on a space station. Uh, the protocols for uh, coming back in when you left, et cetera, are just uh, uh, astounding. So I'm looking forward to the end of the month to uh, NBA and baseball. So um, cardboard fans, cardboard fans. That's what uh, uh, Mike or Tina Lawson put up. So we're cardboard fans, just people who show up on special days. You tell me. I don't know. Anyway, that's your bobblehead of the day. Very cool. Paul Goldschmidt, former Arizona Diamondback, current St. Louis Cardinals, from every indication we've ever had, all around good guy, great guy. And this is uh, him in a Star Wars, uh, I guess Han Solo, and it's even got this little helmet. So that's an extra cool bobblehead. Um, sometime in the future, uh, some kid who's still young enough to like these will get all my bobbleheads. I have one in mind if he wants them, but I'm already going to offer him all my doubles. So, um, let's see, uh, Diane House is some NBA players, uh, breaking some rules. Well, I mean, the NBA is going to have to deal with that. The NBA is going to have to deal with that. You know how that's going to work out. Uh, the uh, sad part will be if some NBA players break the rules and cause, uh, 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 uh the whole thing to shut down again because they have uh, spread the virus in a bubble. You know, I hope that doesn't happen. I mean, there are some leaving. I know Montrell's Herald and the Clippers had to leave. But I think there's a protocol for coming back in. There is a protocol for coming back in. I think, unfortunately, for a lot of the NBA players, NBA player in the 2000s is like being a rock star in the 60s. The world is at your feet, and everybody offers everything. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, Tina Mike Lawson saying this. Cardboard cutout set in bleachers. Not kidding. So what they're going to do is what you guys are telling me is they're going to put cardboard cutouts of people in the stands so it doesn't look weird in the television shot. But what, are they going to let anyone in? Like, are people going to be able to go to Bush Stadium? Do you guys know? Will be able, people be able to watch the St. Louis Cardinals live at Bush Stadium this summer during the shortened season? Uh, I don't have the answer to that. I'm hoping one of you do. All right, I showed you the bobblehead. We've talked about a bunch of stuff. Let's get to the music. Um, two records. Uh, one that everybody who considered himself to be a hippie no, no, you're not going to be able to go to the games, okay? Uh, Dodgers are selling cutouts for 150 to 300 per season. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're getting to the music now. 
Uh, one, anybody who considered themselves a hippie, anybody who thought they were cool back in the uh, early 70s, had this album in their collection, always prominently selling, setting out. And there it is. That's right. There's the boys themselves, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, on their self-titled album, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. All right. There it is. Okay. Not the monster, not the monster uh, uh, that um, uh, later on, uh, like their live album was and other things, but a great album with some great tunes. Uh, here the boys are in their glorious youth. You know, uh, the golden childs of 60s rock and roll, uh, David Crosby, Stephen Stills, and Graham Nash. They came from major bands, of course. Um, Stephen Stills coming from Buffalo Springfield, David Crosby coming from the Birds, Graham Nash coming from the Hollies. Um, uh, the Hollies still went on and did a lot of good stuff after he left, by the way. So um, uh, this was a stunningly impactful album on music at the time. Even though, um, even though uh, a lot of people were beginning to move towards country rock, dealing with Nashville Skyline, The Grateful Dead with American Beauty and Working Man's Dead, um, all of that sort of stuff going on. This album was the one that really kind of changed what was going to be played on the radio. Uh, the songs on here, of course, Marrakesh Express by Graham Nash, Giant, Guinevere by David Crosby, uh, You Still Don't Have to Cry by Stephen Stills, uh, uh, Pre-Roads Dawn by Graham Nash. Great tune. Um, then uh, Lady of the Island by Nash. Helplessly Hoping, which I absolutely love. Beautiful tune by Stephen Still. Long Time Gone by David Crosby. Uh, what a, a killer. A, a very rocky kind of uh, country rock tune. And then uh, 49 By Bites by Stephen Stills. This was an incredible album with incredible music. Kind of changed what was playing on the radio. All right. For a while... There, uh, the, the whole psychedelic thing that was happening before that, the whole kind of organ-driven music that uh, we often heard in the late 60s, uh, the fuzz tone guitar type thing uh, began, especially on album-oriented rock, kind of faded in the background for a while. And uh, this sort of uh, uh, electric, acoustic sort of music really dominated for a while. Um, it's funny to look at them there. Uh, of course, no one knew where that house was. I didn't know when I was a kid. As far as I'm concerned, that was down the road in High Ridge, Missouri. Okay? But, uh, and even if we look in the back, that looks like an old country house there. Of course, they were all taking place up in Laurel Canyon. There are now documentaries out about that incredible um, coming together of creative energy that took place up in Laurel Canyon in the late 60s when all these musicians and bands uh, lived up there. The Doors, Frank Zappa, The Birds, uh, Judy Collins, Joni Mitchell, uh, and more and more and more all lived up in those hills. Uh, by the way, if you're ever in Los Angeles driving up Laurel Canyon, it feels magical and it feels mystical. And the houses sitting so close to the road, you're kind of high up almost on, uh, not cliffs, but up on like little hills and mounds. So precarious. It's so gorgeous. Many of them so ancient from a different time in Hollywood are stunning. But then when you go up in the hills, you find these houses, and most of them are just wooden shacks. But they're magical wooden shacks. And I've had a few friends who uh, owned them, and I've been in them and hung out up there. And uh, Laurel Canyon is still a stunning place and still, in many places, quite rustic, right in the middle of 
one of the uh, lar- the uh, largest or second largest city in the United States. There's a little rustic hideaway called Laurel Canyon where Crosby, Stills, and Nash lived and uh, played. Uh, Topanga ain't so bad either. Yeah, Topanga was great. Topanga is cool. It's a road I've driven many times. I lived at the top of Topanga Canyon for a number of years um, away from the ocean where it starts uh, up in the hills uh, out in Chatsworth and rolls past where uh, all the uh, uh, where all the bomb factories use and Rockadine and everybody had factories up in the hills down through the valley, which was uh, uh, all farm at one time, and then up into those gorgeous mountains that you go through and that little mystical kind of magical town of Topanga. You go through past the Will Gear Theater and then drop right down into the majesty of the Pacific Ocean. Incredible scenery in a wide variety of it in a rather small place in Los Angeles. So that was an album everybody had in their collection in the 70s. If you didn't have it, it was like there was something wrong with you. Now here's an album everybody should have had, but they didn't. Now in my mind's eye, this is this album's this is this band's best album, but this album achieved no success. Their next album was a monster and made them massive and almost permanent. When I tell you the name of the band, almost every one of you will know them. And if you didn't grow up with them, you go, yeah, my parents listened to them, my grandparents. And I heard it. This is, oddly enough, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. This is Blood, Sweat, and Tears' first album. The title of it is, um, I believe it's Child is Father to the Man. Let me double check. Yeah, Child is Father to the Man. All right, and if you look here and you know anything about the band, it's a cool album because it's every musician in the band with a little marionette or puppet uh, that is made up in their image in their lap, like it's their children, okay? This is a stunningly good album. Who is not in the band at this time? David Clayton Thomas, who was the voice who sang, Spinning Wheel, got to go. David Clayton Thomas, a Canadian folk singer, originally, um, was not in the band. And a man who was in the band on this album was not then. And that man was Al Cooper. Al Cooper is sitting in the middle there. I don't know if I'm going to do this right. I can't tell. Right there, that's Al Cooper. That's Al Cooper. Al Cooper is one of the most interesting people in modern classic rock. Um, By the way, this album had an overture. So the opening minute and 32 seconds, they play a little piece of every song that's on the album. Uh, The next song, you got to YouTube this song. You got to listen to this song. Okay? This is a great piece. It's a great love song. One of the great love songs. And it's called I Love You More Than You'll Ever Know, written by Al Cooper. Then Morning Glory, My Days Are Numbered Without Her, Just One Smile. Uh, Side two, I Can't Quit Her, which is a great tune, kind of a little rocker. Uh, Megan's Gypsy Eyes, Something's Going On, House in the Country, Modern Invasions of Plato, and So Much Love, Overture. Every song here is great, but what should have been an enduring classic is I'll Love You More uh, uh, Than You'll Ever Know. And you want to YouTube that and you want to listen to that, okay? It's stunning. Al Cooper had an idea, and we've talked about him on the show before. Al Cooper had an idea, and the idea was a marriage of horns and rock, of soul and rock. And at that time that this album came out, they were kind of considered verboten. There was rock coming out of England and San Francisco primarily, some New York. 
and Soul coming out of uh, Memphis and uh, Detroit. Okay, and soul bands had big horn sections, and rock bands had no horn section. Although, if you listen to a lot of songs, you go back and listen, there was horns in it, but, you know, the band itself, it was, it was just, a, we had this idea of these self-contained units, that all the instruments were played only by the Rolling Stones and nobody else. Um, so, they had this idea that you could marry blues, blues, jazz, and rock. And that's what he and his friend Steve Katz attempted to do. They had an album uh, band they tried a little earlier that called The Blues Project. Um, Al Cooper was uh, not happy with the entire project and left, but did stick around to produce the giant album with Spinning Wheel on it. And um, uh, you made me so very happy. Uh, he did produce that album, but had left. Uh, prior to that, Al Cooper had, was sitting around in a recording studio in New York City when his buddy Mike Bloomfield was hired. He went along with him uh, on a uh, session gig, hired to play the guitar on somebody's album. They walked in. It was Bob Dylan re uh, recording Highway 61 Revisited. Uh, Dylan was full of when his song goes, we need someone to play organ here. Anybody here know how to play organ? Uh, I asked Al Cooper if he knew how. He said yes, he was lying. He had never played the organ. He was a piano player. And he is the organ player on Like a Rolling Stone. Uh, later on, after all of that, he went on to discover and produce Leonard Skinner and I believe Marshall Tucker. And has done other great things in his musical career. But at three important junctures in pop music from the mid-60s into the early 70s, Al Cooper was an important part of that. Dylan's change in sound... The marriage of soul, jazz, blues, and rock, and the discovery of country of uh, what became Southern Boogie Country Rock. He was a present for all of those. Matter of fact, if you watch the uh, documentary on Leonard Skinner, he's uh, featured prominently. Okay, that's our Saturday night show, man. I want to tell you, I know Brian's saying leave some links, but listen to me. Write them down, all right? I love you more than you'll ever know by blood, sweat, and tears. Listen to the tune. Listen to the guitar solo. Go back and listen to uh, Crosby, Stills, and Ash's uh, uh, debut uh, self-titled uh, uh, self album and go, wow, wow. You know, you can see David Crosby's a haunted man. Uh, so much of his behavior led to his own destruction and alienation. But also, I believe he's alluded to it. Going, we had it all right in the palms of our hands and let it slip through our fingers. So oftentimes we do that in America. We have it all in the palm of our hands. We let it slip through our fingers. When you realize you got it in the palm of your hands, don't grab it too hard and don't let it drop, but let it sit. Something special and wonderful will happen for you. That's it. I'm back tomorrow at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time and tomorrow night. Run over a little bit, Cheryl. I'm sorry. I got to get this in. Uh, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, Arizona Time, Pacific Time, 7 p.m. It is Tony Visick Presents Sunday Night's Funnier. I got three very funny New comics for you. Three very funny new comics. Shale Brenner, Randy Ioma, and uh, uh, David John. Support these comics. Support this program. Support this show. Go to ComedySchools.com and buy a ticket for 10 bucks. When you buy a ticket, you're buying three things. You're buying entertainment. You're darn tootin' you are. Okay? You're buying in the American economy because we use portions of the money to pay the comics. And you're helping to feed people in our area because we donate money to the Maricopa Food Pantry. I'm going to talk about Maricopa Food Pantry more tomorrow. And other things got me upset. Not at them. They're wonderful. But other things got me upset that needs to be rectified. All right. That's our show. That's our time. Thank you for, thank you for watching. I'll be back with you tomorrow at 2 p.m.
You've been watching Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. Bye-bye.